Hey everybody, Leah Slaughter. I hope you are having a wonderful week so far. It's nice to have like an hour to sit here and chat with all of y'all out of the heat. I've been at properties all morning and it is hot. I know they say it's like 105, but I promise you in the sun on concrete build sites, it feels like about 120. So this is a class that I'm excited to talk to you about today. And then we're gonna follow up after this class in a couple of weeks with the overview of the lease changes. There are a lot of things happening in the industry that are kind of causing tweaks to our promulgated forms. And I'll talk in a moment a little bit more about what that is. But there's been a lot of things changing from virtual showing boxes to alternate forms of payments, people using Zelle and Venmo. There's just so many things happening that is real estate agents and as a you know, state licensing regulatory agency, they have to make these changes to kind of make adjustments for where the world and where the real estate market is today. Um, I'm sure at some point in the future, whether it be five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, I'm gonna be sitting here talking to you about how they've written in crypto payment. And so it's, it's about staying on top of things and also identifying where there might be loopholes or verbiage changes that are needed. And one of the great things I love about not only our real estate commission, but also our board of realtors is they really do a great job staying on top of that. One of the committees that I serve on actually does those things for the leases. And there's been a lot of changes we've proposed and the state has adopted. And so we're going to talk about a lot of those and how they're affecting just kind of day-to-day -day operation. But in terms of what we're going to talk about today, we are going to be looking at the purchase contracts that are used for the sale of residential real estate. And there's a few different variations of those forms. So you've got the new construction complete, new construction incomplete, the pre-owned, there's a condo version. But in reality, these changes that we're going to talk about have really taken place across the board and so these are more widespread systemic changes in how things are handled. And in my opinion, most of it is actually fantastic for us as agents and for customers as buyers and sellers. And so excited to talk about those today. Um, we continue with a pretty robust class schedule. Later on this month, we're going to talk about buying property through your IRA. And then we're going to go into why you should relocate to Texas. And so this will be a bit of a market update, but also just talking about the strength of our market and also the uniqueness of our market. Uh, there's a lot of places in the country that are not doing the same as Texas, and they certainly are perhaps driving a lot of what's happening here in Texas and specifically the north half of the state. And so uh, we'll talk a lot about that and also about some of the things that are non-financial that we love about Texas. And, you know, it's, it's probably surprising to many people how many of our clients actually do wind up moving here. And it's interesting, we have a, a whole new investor base putting properties up for rent because prices are continuing to climb and they want to be able to move back at some point if they're relocating or maybe traveling. And so it's, it's funny seeing how many people are turning their homes into rentals for a year or two while they go do X, Y, and Z and want to make sure they have that house to come back to because the housing supply shortage is just so extreme right now. So we'll touch a little bit on all of that. And then finally, we're going to talk about cashing out when appreciation is high. You know, we have this two to six year model where every two to six years we're doing something with our houses and typically we're selling. 
But what's interesting is with where rates are and this crazy climb in rents, there's a unique opportunity right now, not just for the big players to be cashing out and reinvesting that money, but also for those who don't have massive portfolios. And so historically, when interest rates are really low and rent growth is maybe three to 5%, it often doesn't make sense to cash out because as your expenses rise, the rents rise at a lower rate. And so there's this disparagement and your return drops every year. Well, what we're seeing right now is value and rents are raising so quickly. I think we've already seen about five or 6% this year. And last year, average in most areas was about 18% in North Texas. And so that's pretty close in line with where appreciation is. And so it's a unique thing. And we've got a lot of clients doing cashing out specifically into interest only products, mostly DCSR. So that's debt coverage service ratio. And for those of you who don't know what that is, I've taught other classes on that. You can always reach out and I can send that to you. But there's there's a big shift in refinances right now. And so it, it's been great from a purchase side and it's been great from refinance side. And so we're going to talk about a different way to look at that model. And that is what what I do because of where I am. And that is refinancing, cashing out, which is tax free money and then using that money to reinvest. So that'll be on August 24th. As always, you can go to our Facebook to see upcoming classes and get those registration links. And then in addition, you can go to our website, to media or any of the channels that have all of our classes, our podcasts, et cetera, and go back about two years of all of the education that we have done. Before I get started, as always, everything I'm gonna talk about today is my best guess and judgment based on years of experience of not only owning and operating a real estate and property management firm, but also being a real estate investor myself. We are one tool in your toolbox and we will always do our best to guide you and to refer you to those that we trust to help guide you on your real estate investment journey. So let's get started talking about these changes and really where these changes derived from. So the two sources that I've used for today are Trek and TAR. So Trek is our licensing entity and TAR is of course the board of realtors. And there's some red line changes. There's overview articles you can read that discuss more of why they did what they did. What we're gonna talk about today is specifically what was done. All of these forms that we're looking at today were written by Trek. So in Texas, we use what's called promulgated forms as realtors. And so what that means is it's fill in the blank. Let's just fancy speak for fill in the blank. And so generally when you're looking at a contract, you're gonna see black text with blanks. And then depending on what program is used, typically the fill in of those blanks is gonna be in blue. So it's very simple to see what's been altered, very simple to see what terms have been filled in and our hands are pretty tied in what we can do with those contracts because we can't write legal verbiage we can't come up with legal type of terminology to put in there and so it's very simple and our state does a great job at that when it comes to these purchase contracts these are actually regulated and written by track so these are going to be your licensing entity forms a lot of the forms we use on the leasing side are actually written by the association of realtors so that's why i've put both of these in here so that you have those two avenues that you can do to pull up this paperwork and kind of see some of these red line changes there's been a lot of changes made to purchase contracts since early 2021 as i'm sure you can imagine coming out of covid there were some things that changed and uh, one of my favorite ones is about option money and we're going to talk about that but this is not just encompassing one set of updates this is actually going to encompass both of the last sets of updates to purchase contracts and we're going to talk about some of the new addenda and changes to the existing addenda 
And of course, an addenda is a separate form that is added to a contract to cover a specific need. So getting started, uh, number C, this is talking about accessories, and this is in paragraph two, so this is pretty early into the contract. And one of the things that we see when you sell a property is this question of what is a fixture and what is not a fixture. And so a, a real layman's way of explaining it is anything that's affixed or attached has to stay with the property. And so there are certain items that tend to be contention points when you're selling a home, especially if it's a home that's been occupied, whether that's by tenant or by an owner occupant. Some of those items can be curtain rods, TVs hanging on walls, those types of things that are a gray area, as speakers that are not mounted into the wall, but rather hung on the wall, those types of things. And so over the course of really the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of little modifications and tweaks to help cover some of these items. Well, as you can imagine, as technology advances, now we have a lot more things that perhaps come into some of these fixture questions from ring doorbells to alarm systems to built-in cameras to you know, all sorts of AV equipment. And there's just a lot of different things that come up. So they've done a really good job trying to, with each modification, encompass more and more of that so that you don't have fights with buyers and sellers. So the change that happened here under accessories was it added to include security systems that might not be considered fixtures as accessories, and therefore they are something that remains with the property. Uh, in addition to that, you'll see the software and applications used to access and control improvements or accessories. So this is a newer one that's been added as well. And so what previously, you might have an app that controls, for example, my home, my, my apps control everything, my lights, my pool, my TVs, my stereo systems. If I sold the property and those things didn't convey or I didn't transfer that information, literally the person buying my home couldn't control anything. And often they have a very difficult reset process. And so that's one of the reasons why this was so important for them to find a way to encompass this into the contract changes. Now, in addition to that, what they've done, and this is one of my favorite changes that was made, they modified and added this paragraph to talk about whether or not there was a lease on the property and provide an opportunity to disclose and provide a copy of that. And this is really great because previously we quite literally had to find a place in the contract to write in that there was a lease on the property so that the seller had some form of protection that the buyer knew and understood there was a lease. And so this has been a really needed change and it took a long time to get it in there. So I'm real happy that that got added. And so you'll see here that there's an opportunity to essentially disclose and provide documentation for three types of leases, a residential lease, a fixture lease, and a natural resource lease. And when it comes to a natural resource lease, if the seller has not already delivered a copy prior to execution of the contract, and execution meaning the signing by all parties and then filling in the date of execution or final signature, then what happens is there becomes almost like a new time period for termination, much like a seller's disclosure, once the buyer has that information. And so this, again, is just another way of protecting all parties that everyone is on the same page. And of course, anytime you're doing a sale or any type of contract, that's really important because where people don't see eye to eye and where they're not on the same page is where we see lawsuits and those types of contention items come into play. Now, in addition to the lease changes, they also changed how option money is handled. Now, let me tell you how option fees used to work. And for those of you that have bought property for many years, you already know this and why it was so important the change was made. So what used to happen is earnest money was sent to the escrow agent or the title company, 
and an option fee had to get to the seller or to the uh, seller's agent, so the listing agent. And there was a strict timeline. And the problem with the option fee is if it was late, if it wasn't delivered on time, you lost your option period. So if you had two days and it used to be two days to get it there. So if you signed a contract on a Friday, if you didn't have it there over the weekend in two days, then you lost your right to do that option period. And that essentially is an unrestricted right to terminate. And so what that means is that you can do your inspections. You can, you can decide you don't like the paint color. You can decide you don't like the street name. It's an unrestricted right to terminate during that period of time for some consideration, some amount of money. And it was very difficult, I'll be honest. There were deals where the listing agent, their brokerage wasn't open, the listing agent was out of town, the seller didn't wanna sign for it. And we were literally having to send couriers and trying to chase people down. And this has just been an issue for, you know, I've been in the business like 17 years. It was an issue the whole time I've done this. And so what now has happened is they have changed it where everything goes to the title company and it's one wire, you can send it with wiring instructions, you can deliver it to the title company, and then the title company releases an amount out of that for the option fee. And so it's kind of changed this whole process to be much more fair and much easier, and you're also not having to get two checks to two different places, and so it really was a fantastic change, and it certainly is one that as agents, it takes a lot of pressure off us, but also as buyers, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. Because what would happen is there might be a situation where we have an international buyer or we're dealing as a listing agent and there's an international buyer involved and they don't have money in the States. And so dealing with these types of things can get very tricky. And so with today's climate where 50% of homes and especially our market are selling to investors or to funds, I think that this was a very needed change. And again, I think there's gonna be some things that are gonna continue to change in this process and the payment process overall as we continue to see these alternative forms of payments continue to emerge. I mean, right now, pretty much anybody who comes and does work for you wants to take Zelle or Venmo, and there's just so many things happening in the payment world that I think it's gonna be very interesting to see where we land over the course of the next 10 or so years. Now, there also is a change to where we disclose that we are agents ourselves. And so for those of you that are real estate agents, and this is something that I even recommend disclosure if you're not a licensee in our state. And so those of you that are agents, you've heard us tell you this before, that when you are a licensee and you are a party to the contract, meaning a buyer or a seller, that's something that always needs to be disclosed. And I disclose, disclose, disclose. And so even if you're an active, we want to put it in there. And so what used to happen is that was on the front end of the contract and now they've taken it and moved it to its own little section. And so it's extremely clear when there is a party to the contract that is a licensee. And essentially the reason you're disclosing it is you don't want it to be considered or assumed that you have some type of unfair advantage and that you didn't disclose that uh, licensing and knowledge. Now, paragraph 10, this is talking about possession, and they modified this because of those alterations about those leases that are being, uh, you know, just disclosed on that beginning part of the contract. And so they had to kind of modify this verbiage to account for that. And then in addition, they also added a smart devices section, which was badly needed because nowhere in there was this properly identified and handled in that contract. And so this is where they now require that the access information for those devices be given at closing and funding or at the time that the person moves in to occupy the property. So I've actually had properties before where we didn't know there were smart systems to get into. We didn't know there were apps and logins, personal purchases I've done 
And um, those, those are the types of situations we don't want to run into, especially in today's modern era where so many homes have smart features. I mean, we walk into $150,000 relatively affordable, cheap homes in our market that have smart thermostats. It's pretty much everywhere now, even apartments. And so very, very important that that is outlined. Um, now we have a question, option fees. How is the option fee amount calculated and the option period? So one of the great things about Texas is everything's negotiable. And one of the things that we really just kind of have to go with judgment and guidance and, and market knowledge on is option fee and earnest money. And so if you ask me how much an option fee is, really it can be whatever amount you want it to be in whatever time period you want. There are certain criteria that we look at when we're trying to determine what's reasonable. Number one, when you have an option period in a contract, which we do see a lot less of those now with our market because it's so crazy, but of course we always recommend you have a back out. And so that period of time, again, remember that's an unrestricted right to terminate. And so the seller is taking their home off the market, stopping marketing activities generally for the most part, so that you can have time to make a final decision. And so the more money you offer for that, the more it entices that seller. And so what we used to see was most of the time, and again, there's no standards, everything's negotiable, but what I typically saw was about seven to 10 days and somewhere between 100 and $150 on these lower price point properties. Now we see a lot of differences. So typically we're seeing two or three days, maybe five days, maybe we're seeing three to $500. And so it truly depends on the property, the desirability, the lack of inventory. You know, if you're dealing in a property that there's a hundred like it and there's a lot of options out there, then of course we're not going to be as aggressive with what we're seeking compared to a property in a neighborhood where everybody wants to live there. There's nothing else available. And that's where you see people waiving rights to option periods, giving crazy money for option periods. I think we had one that was like $1,000 recently. And so those types of things do happen. And it just depends, again, on the market and where the market is at that point in time. Now, paragraph 18 is the part that was modified to allow the escrow agent or the title company to release the funds for the option fee. And then in addition to that, it allows their ability to make disbursement contingent on good funds or cleared funds. And so this is where it was modified to account for now the option fee and those types of things being paid. And the reason being is when you have an earnest money dispute or you have earnest money being released and a title company is holding it, both parties have to sign agreeing to let that be released. Well, you certainly don't want to have to go through that process on an option fee because lots of buyers would hold that up if they terminated a contract. And so this essentially overrides the requirement for a signed release and allows the title company to release the option fee when the contract terminates. So really important. Now, paragraph 21, this is kind of a funny one. Instead of having a separate line for email and fax, they combined them to save space and to be able to have enough space to put that information. And so again, it's just the changing world. I think that there will be a day sometime in the near future where we no longer see faxes. And I, you know, I, I don't really know anyone that has a, a real fax. We all use e-fax, which is basically just scan documents by email. So I don't even know that we call it fax anymore, but uh, I think that that's certainly gonna be on the way out. I'll never forget, maybe like, I don't know, nine years ago, eight years ago, I had an agent who called me and said, Lee, I have an offer on your property. Where can I meet you? And I said, well, just email it to me. And she said, no, 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 I don't do that email thing. I do paper. 
And I said, well, just fax it to me. I'm, I'm out north. I'm not going to be able to be back for a while. Go ahead and send it to me. And when you fax it, it'll email to me. She's like, no, I don't think you understand. I don't use technology. And so we've made some changes, right? We're, we're continuing to move forward. And year three in the business, I had a client who kept telling me, Leah, you need a navigation system. You need a, a Garmin, I think is what it was, or TomTom. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good with my MapQuest. I'm good with my, you know, Google and mapping them all out and printing out my driving directions. And so I think some of us are kind of stubborn to move on past what's comfortable, but I, I think that day is coming. And so they're just starting to make those changes to account for those types of things happening as we move into the new modern age. Now you can scan things from your camera on your phone and it puts it into PDF and it looks like it went through a scanner. It's, it's crazy all the technology out there, way, way above and beyond a lot of what I know. Now, paragraph 22, this is where we select the addenda that are part of the contracts. And so this is where you have things like if there's financing, you select the third party financing. If it's a short sale, you select the short sale addendum. Man, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Uh, other, that's where we check for things like the new construction information from the builder or the floor plan or those types of things on the new construction form. And so there's been some new addenda that have come out in the course of the last year and a half. And so there's now an option for those two on here. And then, of course, you'll notice the last autumn, uh, bottom item is an other where we can fill in things. And we use that a lot, especially as it pertains to like builder warranty information and floor plans and spec sheets and that type of stuff on the new construction side. Or if there's some other type of addendum, if it's a wholesale property or something like that, then we'll throw those in there. But the two new addenda that are referenced in paid paragraph four, and those are those types of leases that that disclosure now covers. So the addendum regarding residential leases and the addendum regarding fixture leases, those have both been added as an option. And so if that's a part of this contract, then you would check that box to include it. Uh, but note that that language is not included in the unimproved property contract or the incomplete new home contract, because of course those are not yet built. So there couldn't be those items. Now, paragraph 23 was deleted, and the next paragraph 24 was renumbered to number 23, and that is, again, because of the movement of these items. Option fee receipt was changed where before you had to select whether it was being received and signed off by the seller or the seller's agent. Just another nuance in the difficulty of delivering option fee that you had to physically get them to sign off on it. You couldn't just leave it in the Dropbox. And so anyhow, now it is the escrow agent receiving the option fee, so now they are the ones who receive that. And then for the addendum for property subject to mandatory membership, this is what we like to short call the HOA addendum. So if your property is in an HOA, that addendum gets added in here. And that addendum covers what the seller pays for for the transfer, what the buyer pays for, and how much maximum the buyer's going to contribute or the seller's going to contribute. And so what happened is they added deposits and reserves to the items that the buyer pays for the transfer. And again, these are items that were not previously covered well, and so they've made this change to make it crystal clear so that we don't have those contention points. Now, as I mentioned, there are some new forms that were also adopted. This is the addendum regarding residential leases. And so if there is a residential lease, this is that form that paragraph four mentioned that again could be added to the addenda list. And this is what it looks like. And so it essentially says what we're doing with the leases for this purchase. And so whether you're terminating the lease or whether they're taking on the lease. Now keep in mind that a lease is attached to the property. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand. So I'll take a moment and explain this. 
Although there is a landlord on the lease and a tenant on the lease, the lease is attached to the property. And so that lease automatically carries with a sale. Unless it's otherwise noted, which that's not in promulgated forms, that lease carries on. So if you sell a property that's tenant occupied, which we do every day in this market right now, that lease stays with the property. So that buyer is inheriting that lease and that is why this disclosure is so incredibly important. Now, oftentimes we give a tenant notice for the time in which we're selling and we're just showing and marketing it while the tenant is still there. And so that would be the type of situation where we would check box A, that that lease is to be terminated before closing. But that hopefully helps you understand why this addenda was so important. And then, of course, the second one was the addendum regarding fixture leases, and this is the form about fixture leases in place at execution, again, to protect the buyer and seller that they have a meeting of the minds. Now, in addition, there is a new disclosure for PID properties, or that's a public improvement district, and that essentially is talking about the seller having to provide that notice and the information about the public improvement district that they belong to. Now, if the seller doesn't provide that information, then that gives the buyer a back out ability because they were not given the proper information and disclosure for that. Uh, we already have a, one of these that we use for MUDs or MUDs or municipal utility districts. And so this is a very similar process. It's just specifically outlined for a public improvement district instead of a municipal utility district. And that is the changes that I have to cover today. As always, we appreciate you attending. If you have any further questions, you can always reach out to me. Otherwise, I will see everybody in about two weeks for the class going over investing through your IRA and how that's a great tool right now. And then we've got a couple really big notifications and updates that we're gonna be announcing pretty soon. And so we'll send out some information on that. And then our next quarterly mixer will be probably early September. It's going to depend on what the weather does because the next one we do is one of our quasi indoor and outdoor events and our attendance is pretty large now. So as soon as we start to see the temps back off, we'll send out a final date to you guys and we can't wait to see everybody. Otherwise, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Stay safe out there and I will see you soon. Thank you so much again for being part of the OmniKey family.